Hey, welcome to Father in Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift, and I'm not the perfect dad, but every day I am trying to be better. I'm so happy to have my good friend Derek Weeks with me today. Thanks for being with me, buddy. Man, thank you for having me. How you doing? I am well. It's been a busy day, but a good day. Good, good. Um, as most people might be aware, April is Autism Awareness Month. And Derek, you happen to have a son with autism, so I thought you would be a great person to come on and talk about this topic. Uh, We've had you on previously to talk about this a year or two ago at this point, but I figured it'd be nice to have you come back on because obviously having fathered a child with autism for an additional year or two, there's going to be some differences to talk about, maybe some changes to deal with, but... Uh, first, let's kind of jump into the topic. So I don't have any kids who fall on the spectrum of autism, but for everyone listening who might be like myself, can you just briefly explain what autism actually is? Mm-hmm. So that answer becomes increasingly more complicated with each passing year because scientists and those who work within the autism community keep broadening the spectrum, which is another way of saying autism. So the spectrum, you can fall on this spectrum and it is unbelievably long now. So what used to encompass individuals with neurological disorders or Asperger's now encompasses people who are annoyed when their tag scratches the back of their neck. Oh, wow. Like there are doctors and scientists and therapists who would classify individuals with some kind of spectrum disorder because they cannot stand the feeling okay. that results because of that. Or if their sock is twisted in their shoe or if their pants are wrong, something like that. Wow. People would fall on that spectrum. But classically, somebody who dealt with autism was an individual who had neurological disorders that would work itself out in actions that ran contrary to what society deemed as normal. Okay. So that's more of a classic definition. Okay. So what would some of those uh, classic actions be? Yeah. So for children, isolation would be one. Um, Or behaviors, again, that ran opposite or antithetical to normal society. So, for example, my son, at around eight or nine months, when he would get excited, he would begin to flap his hands. Mm. Whereas a child who normally dealt with excitement, you know, some kind of babbling or running around. But for him, he would expend his excitement by flapping his hands. And that was the earliest sign. More followed, but that was the initial. What came next was when he would become anxious, he would rock back and forth. This, again, is a movement or an action that is antithetical to what society deems as normal. Okay, got it. So autism has obviously developed over the years because I've always understood it by what you explained just now and the latter of your previous response. But now it kind of encompasses just anything on the spectrum of abnormal? Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Um, Any abnormal way of responding to stimuli. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess it's expanded, but I guess for the sake of today, we're going to talk about maybe the more classical case of autism because that's what your son Theo really has. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So he, I wish I could remember the actual term, but it's, it's a, it's a global delay in that he is behind in almost every facet of living. So speech, eating, uh, your motor 
functions. Um, globally speaking, he is behind in almost every one of those areas. Got it. So is it just a um, just like this global delay, as in there is time and opportunity that will allow him to develop speech and greater motor skills, or is it he'll probably be this way for the rest of his life? Yeah, so there is certainly space for growth. So in the two or three years since his diagnosis, he has made drastic improvements in motor and other areas. So for example, my wife does homeschool with him almost every day. And what's astounding to us now is he's five and a half and he understands what it means to trace the dotted line when you're taught to write your ABCs. Okay. So every day he's writing his name and tracing words and does it without or hardly without any assistance from my wife. So somehow within the confines of his minds, he understands, oh, there's a dotted line and therefore I trace it. That was something that was near impossible two and a half years ago when sure. he was three, four. Wow. So that is one instance in where he has really grown. Um, other fine motor skills that that, have, that has grown in the last couple of years is what was simple to a kid. You pick up a, a toy that has a certain shape and you put it within the hole that corresponds. So if you have a star-shaped mm-hmm. toy, the child knows very young to put it within the corresponding holes. Theo here recently has now become really adept at that. But for someone who's five and a half, that is significantly behind what is deemed as normal. Okay, got it. All right, so in this classical setting of autism that you were fathering, um, let's let's start back here. You've mentioned a little bit of this, but let's just kind of give some context for anyone who didn't get to hear you the first time. When did you first start seeing the signs? You mentioned eight or nine months with the flapping. Is that the first initial sign that you had where you thought, this is odd? Mm-hmm. Yeah. At first, we thought it was cute. Okay. Yeah, I get that. We thought it was unique. He's eight months. This is He's the way smi- my kid yeah. does this, right? Yes. Um, but it became protracted in that he kept doing it and doing it, and we had no point of reference mm-hmm. from any other child or any sure. other anecdotal experience, and it began to um, cause a slight concern, if that makes sense. Sure. Because he kept doing it well past one. And often those things develop. They develop or you grow out. Right. They're trying to do something and it translates however, but eventually they clap their hands or Exactly. And as a parent, you're trying to shape or guide that action and it just wasn't happening. It remained and he still does it today significantly less. Okay. But when he's really excited, he will still flap his hands and his arms. But again, it's significantly less now than when he was eight, nine months old, a year and a half, two years. Was there anything else that happened? In addition to the flapping at that point, where you thought this seems yes, odd. he would not transition to solid foods. Okay, puree typed foods that consistency, and it's still the case to today. However, he has learned to enjoy crackers, cookies. Okay. So it's two ends of the extreme. It's either puree styled foods. Or cookie crackers. Extra crispy. Yeah. 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 Nothing in between. Wow. And that's still true to today. Okay. No desire. He has the motor skills. He can chew. We see him with the cookies and the crackers. Sure. Not a problem. But for some reason, texture, mm-hmm. that stimuli we talked about earlier, um, he just cannot stand having 
that texture, that type of consistency in his mouth, he will spit it out. Okay. So you start noticing these signs. At what point do you actually start to seek maybe professional help to identify, mm. is, this, is this normal? Did you go to your pediatrician at like a one-year checkup and ask mm-hmm. these questions? When did you do this? Uh, so we are faithful in our regular checkups, you know, the pediatrician. And at that time, our pediatrician had recommended because of his delays that we get him checked out. And I'm pretty sure that was at one and a half, two. I'm a little fuzzy on exactly when that was, but we, we started down that road of professional help really early. Okay. And what would your recommendation be? For anyone who might be listening and thinking, I've got some questions about my kid. Maybe they're at that eight, nine month mm-hmm. period, similar to Theo. What What's the recommendation that you give to dads in the same situation you found yourself yeah, in? Yeah, without hesitation, get professional help if you can, if you can afford it. I know insurance sometimes is a problem, um, but there are plenty of programs out there Um, that help individuals who are on the spectrum live life as best as they can by training them on their motor skills, on their speech skills, eating skills, um, how they interact with others. Uh, Theo is significantly further now because of that help, and therefore I recommend it. I recommend it. Did you have any reluctancy as a dad? Because I think, at least from my perspective, and I understand that my perspective is unique to me, but... I'm going to say, as a father, you take pride in your family, your things, your kids, and you. I think most of us have this idea in mind right at the outset that you know I'm going to have children, and here are all the things that we're mm-hmm. going to do. Yep. Um, so when you get to a point to where you think maybe something is wrong, maybe something is not quite normal. Does it create a hesitation or reluctancy in you to pose those questions to the pediatrician? Is it just, uh, I I want to hope that I'm wrong, so I'm not going to say anything? Mm-hmm. Was that difficult for you? It was, and I, th- I think I share that difficulty with almost everybody, because when you have kids, there is an ideal, whether consciously or subconsciously, you've carried with you all your life. An ideal of that perfect family of however many number living in this nice house with that white picket fence, and you are by all means considered normal. Mm. You know, just that that whole family ideal concept. Sure. And uh, to a degree, I had that, and I think many people have that, just that ideal, that aspiration, that idea of perfect, you know. Yeah. Um, and what I mean by that is you expect when your kid turns one that they're going to dive into that cake yeah. and tear it apart. Theo never did that. Yeah. You have that idea that I'm going to have a conversation with my kid and they're going to begin spouting off words at a year or later. Mm-hmm. Never had that. Never had the experience of watching my child rip open a Christmas or birthday present. And when that ideal is shattered, it does tend to make you withdrawn mm. and private. Now, however, I, I do I do want to say this. I know that I've never got to experience those things. However, I am very blessed and that I have kids. And I know that there are people who would love to be parents who never have kids. And so sure. by no means, please hear me. I am not trying to say that I have it 
terrible like that. I know there are people yeah. who so desperately want to have children and who can never. And I right. honor you people. I recognize you all. Um, I'm just saying this is my experience yeah. and the stuff that I um, have um, struggled with. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll have you speak to that in a little bit towards the end of this, because I think where you ultimately have landed with your situation is inspirational to anyone in your similar situation. Sure. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say based off what you've said that for dads in the same situation that you were in eight nine months around that time you have questions you have reluctancy it starts to kind of buck against this ideal that you've always held of this is what my life and family will be like. Mm-hmm overcome that and just ask the questions. Don't don't be don't be so proud or so afraid to identify the mm-hmm. problem that your child might actually have so that you can then take the next steps of getting them the help that they need. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. Just go for it. If, yeah, go if for it and don't isolate yourself. That is probably the biggest mistake so many of us who deal with this make. Sure. Isolating. We will fall back. We won't talk to anybody mm. because we incorrectly assume that people don't understand what we're going through. But the unbelievable thing is so many people do. There are these unbelievable men and women, um, typically older, but mm-hmm. who have gone through these things and who have been around the mountain, <laughs> been around the block a little more than we have and can provide great wisdom and insight and even healing. I mean, we yeah. talked about this uh, the last time we discuss this subject, but there's healing that is gained in community. Absolutely. Um, And when you isolate yourself, you're going to miss any of that healing and any of that grace. The same way um, that a missing limb, if it's disconnected from the body, it cannot receive the blood and the nutrients and survive. Same thing. If you disconnect yourself from people, and especially from the body of Christ, you're going to miss out on all the wonderful healing and grace and strength that would otherwise not come to you. Yeah. Okay. This seems like a great point to add something that I had no intention to add, but I actually wrote a blog today for um, the website, fatherinourfuture.com, if you want to get more than just the podcast, there's more there. Uh, But I wrote a blog on our need for community. Uh, and there were just different things that stuck out to me. Uh, one of those is uh, the concept of synergy. So take, for example, just to break it down, um, two forces two forces together are, are able to accomplish more than the sum of what individually they sure. can do. So two horses that can pull 6,000 pounds each, you put them together, they don't pull 12,000, they pull closer to 18,000. Mm. Um, so this idea that when we are together and we're combining our efforts, they're greater than what we're probably going to expect. Um, I, I likened this to Genesis chapter 11 in the Tower of Babel. These people are fearing God destroying them yet again with something else, maybe another flood or whatever else. So they decide to build this tower that can reach to the heavens and they will have their own safety and security. And the Bible says that God looks at this and says, if these people continue like this, nothing will be impossible for Mm -hmm. them. Um, Just this idea of community and what's capable and what's possible. And then there was a study uh, that's come out of the University of Chicago 
on the topic of isolation and loneliness and how some of the effects of this can be germane to those of hypertension and smoking mm. by isolating yourself this way. And that, that reminded me of uh, the prophet Elijah. You read through Elijah and his story in 1 Kings, and he has a servant with him. Like mm. This is one thing that's important to know, but he has the servant with him, and then he spends time with the widow and her son, and God performs the miracles there, making their supplies for food, have greater longevity than they thought it would have. And then he wants to go to King Ahab, and he runs into Obadiah, which Obadiah would have been like a brother in Christ for him, because Obadiah was trying to rescue and hide away other prophets Mm -hmm. so that Jezebel would not be able to destroy everyone. So this is when Elijah meets with Ahab and says, you know, it's going to rain again because they've had this drought. And he calls all the prophets of Baal to Mount Carmel. And this is where he makes a spectacle Mm -hmm. of all of them there, right? And after this, he gets word that Jezebel is out to get him. So he goes to Beersheba in Judah, and he leaves his servant there. And he alone goes out into the wilderness. He isolates himself. He is lonely. And this is when Elijah starts to say, God, just go ahead and take my life. So he's done these incredible miracles where he's had a role in this food supplies lasting way longer than it should have. He actually resurrects the widow's son as well. He died, and Mm -hmm. he takes him up to the room, lays on him three times, and asks for the Lord to restore his life. And the boy comes back to life. And then he calls fire down from heaven on this soaking wet altar that he's constructed. All the prophets of Baal are destroyed. He's had this just incredible last few years. But when he isolates himself... This is when he starts to devalue his own life and think, I'm, I'm not cut out for this. I can't do this anymore. So the, the idea that we don't need to be in community, that whenever tragedy comes our way, that we should just isolate and be alone, mm-hmm. this is such a horrible idea. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a natural proclivity that we have, but this is something that we need to train ourselves against and just have a true value of community. I mean... We all want to be macho, and we all associate this idea of independence to this masculine nature that we want to have, that we can do it, and we don't need help, and we'll get it done, and we'll do it alone. Mm -hmm. And too many of us have this dumb idea in our head, and I just think about Jesus. If anyone was able to do it alone, it would have been Jesus. But Jesus decided to not do it alone. He Mm -hmm. had disciples. He Mm -hmm. had a community that he surrounded himself with, and on and on with being a part of the body of Christ and not being able to thrive if you're disconnected from the body. Mm -hmm. It all goes into this idea of community. So yes, just to expound on what you said, if you feel that you are alone, if you feel this tendency to withdraw, don't do it. It is Mm -hmm. probably the worst decision that you can make at that point in your life. Right. I agree. And for those who come out of it, that is the very point that they make. So um, we had a volunteer, we, our church, North mm-hmm. Cities, had a volunteer celebration a couple weeks ago. And one of the leaders who helped put on the celebration had mentioned all the horrible things that had happened because of their isolating, but then mentioned all of the healing. Mm and the strength and the grace that they received by getting back involved. So not only 
getting involved with people, but just getting involved in God's missions and purposes in the world have brought such great strength yeah. and healing to that person's life. And um, I echo exactly what you said. Refrain from isolating. We understand there are moments where you just have to get away. Sure. That's that's normal. But when it becomes perennial and protracted and sustained, you have a problem. Right. So stay in community, regardless of what comes your way. Now, you talked about having these withdrawals when when this perfect ideal of family that you had in your mind starts to kind of be attacked and holes get poked in this theory mm-hmm. that you've held on to. Um, is this when you actually found out that, Derek, your son has autism? Is, is that when this spiraling started to take place for you? Yeah. So the recognition of Theo being on the spectrum surfaced these ideals. And I would even to go so far as to say idols. Okay. Um, at a subconscious level, I believed that my family could not be normal unless we were all normal. Mm. And that was an idol. And that really became apparent during a message. One of our pastors preached a message called The Hidden Idol. And what he was attempting to do was to surface all of these hidden, um, buried beneath the sand, um, idols and gods that we have generated. And sadly, I had turned my family into one. And I was even praying so that this idol would become a reality. I was praying for the healing of my son so that we could be normal. I wasn't praying in line with God's plans and purposes and aligning myself with his plans and purposes. I was praying against it by praying God to heal my son so that we could be made whole. Now, now let me back up a little bit. It's not bad to pray for wholeness, but it is bad when the wholeness has become an ideal, has become an idol. Sure. And it was that message that really illuminated that sad fact. Yeah. There's a couple of things that this makes me think of. One is what you actually shared with me that I think the same minister who preached the sermon you're talking about shared with you at another time. But Uh, when the Apostle Paul is talking about this thorn in his flesh that Mm -hmm. he prayed three times for it to be removed, and he doesn't get it removed. It doesn't get addressed Mm -hmm. specifically, but he does get all-sufficient grace. Yep. And sometimes, rather than trying to bring to life this idol, this ideal, Mm -hmm. we just have to accept the fact that God's given us grace for what we're living through. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing, that this that this made me think of. Uh, I could imagine being in that place, and and wanting everything to be normalized, mm-hmm. um, wanting to have those same prayers for healing. Uh, had somewhat of a similar situation with my firstborn. He was very delayed in speech, and we thought maybe he was autistic. There were some signs that were similar, and. Um, the idea of that was disheartening. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't imagine the gut punch of when you actually get confirmation that this is the case. And fortunately for us, it it was not. But what I think is so powerful for us, especially as Christians, is we're called to be witnesses. And we're called to be witnesses to the whole world. Mm-hmm. But I've also, I've often wondered how can be how can we be witnesses to the whole world if all of us are the same? 
if all of us have this quote unquote perfect mm -hmm. normal family, because I mean, part of the reason that I want you to be on to talk about this is there are plenty of dads out there who have children who are autistic mm -hmm. and they have these same tendencies, these withdrawals, th this idea of isolating this, this fear of promoting the family because it's not the perfect sure. family that they wanted. And mm -hmm. there's almost shame that can set in with that idea. Um, but as Christians, I think sometimes we don't need to seek the healing because we still need that platform to be able to witness. Is that something, and maybe we're jumping ahead a little bit here, but I don't care at this point. Um, is that is that something that you've ever thought about? Like if, if I'm going to be able to have impact in in other dads' lives, my situation with my son doesn't need to change. Mm-hmm. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever checked yourself possibly? Sure. Um, so we have talked about this before privately, you and I. Um, when we had that conversation on 2 Corinthians on grace, mm -hmm. and I promise this ties into the question, when the realization hit that God tailors his grace to perfectly match the situation you're going through, so he's so we're, we're promised through Paul that there's grace for everything. So that means that God's grace is always commensurate to our challenges, that there's never a moment created by God that he didn't create the grace to carry you and sustain you. That helped me to accept the position and the place that God has placed me in. Because when we bend the knee and by faith say that he is Lord, implicit within that is God gets to decide what happens in our life. We no longer define who we... We no longer def, get to define um, our station in that he is Lord. We're not Lord. So we submit to him. And we no longer get to decide where it is that we actually go. Yes, we do have freedom to decide where we live and that kind of stuff. But if God is ordering our steps to place X, exactly, then we submit to that. So that's what I mean by that. So please don't hear me and, and say, that, oh, Derek said that we... No, we do have agency and the right to choice. But what I'm saying is within God's kingdom and his plans and purposes, we want to submit. Sure. And God could have said, Theo, be made whole the moment you came out of the womb. He did not. And so, therefore, he has led us down this path. And as a result, and this is where we connect to your point, is we are now meeting individuals who we never would have otherwise met because of Theo's autism. And I'm having God conversations with individuals who I never otherwise would have had Theo not been placed on the spectrum. Yeah. Um, and therefore, all that, so putting all that together, I have, over many prayers and over many days, resubmitted myself to God and His plans. And so whenever I'm praying, Lord, may you be honored, I'm trying to mean it. Yeah. And somehow, my being here with Theo is giving God honor and giving God glory, and I'm doing the best that I can to witness Him and His kingdom um, as I'm walking with the son with autism. Yeah. And that means that I get to meet people at Theo's school, other parents, 
So my wife and I will talk to other moms and dads while we're waiting for our uh, our son to get done with his therapy classes. And as a result, we get to be salt and light. Yeah. You know, we're not always explicitly talking about the Lord. If the chance does, then we do. But just by the way that we live, by the way that we're loving, by the way that we're being pe- peaceful and patient with everything, people notice a difference. My dad being one, mm. uh, he told me one time that I don't know if I could have been as patient and forbearing as you are had I been given the cards that you have. And so my dad is seeing stuff. Yeah. Other people are seeing stuff. And I have to say that that's God getting glory. Yeah. So I hope in a way that answers. No, absolutely. I think what it does, and part of the reason why I asked is just to see if you'd confirm the idea, but I think what it does is in a sense, it almost reinstills purpose for someone who might feel like their perfect idea on everything has just kind of been busted. Like the bubble's been popped and I don't even know where I fall anymore, Mm -hmm. but it, doesn't matter if you're in the situation of you have an autistic child. I, I think Greg Peters, our other friend, his daughter Remy has CDLS, mm-hmm. and with CDLS, it's a lot, it's a lot more visual than it is with autism. Mm-hmm. You, people could look at Theo from a distance and not think anything about Theo. Correct. But people could look at Remy, Remy. and know mm-hmm. something's, something's wrong. different with this mm-hmm. child. Um, but he uses that as you know he carries her around with with pride that this is his daughter, mm-hmm. and when people yes. ask about you know where's her hand you know this is an opportunity for me to have conversation yeah. and to get to know people and mm-hmm. so you know the point in don't think just because your situation might be not normal mm-hmm. that there's not purpose in your life and what you're doing like you still have an opportunity yeah. to witness and mm-hmm. you have a platform that. Not many other people might have. I don't have that platform. Sure. I'm not going to have the voice. I might be able to connect with a father who has autism over time, but you can walk into that conversation and connect in a deeper way than I can Mm -hmm. in three minutes. Right. And so just for everyone listening, just whatever your situation might be, whether it is a child with autism or I guess with that meaning anything on the Mm -hmm. spectrum at this point, Down syndrome or whatever it may be, um, don't view that as, uh, well, my life is kind of stuck to serving them now. I, I don't really have a purpose outside of that. You still have purpose and you still have a yeah. platform to witness. You do. And so take that to heart. Mm-hmm. You know, Let that be another thing that kind of helps you rise out of the ashes and get away from the isolation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And one of the hardest things for those of us who are Christians will be submitting to what God says is good. So we know that He is good and that all things work together for good, but as God, He gets to define what good is. And since God did not elect to heal my son or to make him whole, however you want to say that, that means God elected for it to be good that we walk through this. I'm not saying it's good for my son to have autism, but that it's good for us to walk through this Mm -hmm. because there will be people who... See God as a result. Right. And again, what carries us is God is good. And if he didn't abandon us in Jesus on the cross, he's not going to abandon us now. Sure. So that that keeps me. That yeah. motivates me. And I recognize that he is redeeming and reconciling all things. That's another thing that keeps me. Yeah. Well, and I think that's that's good that you have that too, because Life with Theo, life with a child who has autism, is a little different. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you and I have talked a little bit about this and just some of the struggles, and you can open up a little bit more about this, but um, what's the toll like specifically in your in your situation uh, with Theo as far as a father or between you and your wife? What additional stresses mm-hmm. are piled on? Yep. So the older he becomes, things become more norm. You, know, you you pick up a new rhythm, new way of living, and so now um, the the stresses aren't what they were earlier on. Um, but as we were beginning this autism walk, probably the stresses were, or the biggest stress was those who had no prior knowledge of autism. Um, couldn't understand what we were going through. Does that make sense? Yes. Because they had nothing to recall, and therefore family and friends would say, well, we'll just do X and just do Y, <laughs> and we would want to yell. They're all you can't the do Yes. You can't do X or Y for someone who's on the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, you can't just force feed a child right. normal food who cannot stomach the texture. It's it's a visceral thing for Theo. And yeah. so people who don't understand trying to give what they think is good, sound advice, that was difficult. And then um, another thing that was difficult was there was a long season where we just couldn't go out mm. because Theo wants to be home. He has a routine. He can't stand loud noises. So restaurants, that just wasn't going to happen because he could not stand it. Right. And so while everybody else could continue doing birthday parties and other kind of parties and go enjoy a good Friday night meal, we just couldn't do. Gotcha. Because we had to stay home so that he wasn't over inundated and overstimulated. Uh over yeah, stimulated. Yeah, that's the right word. Um, so those were some of the the big stressors, people trying to give what they thought was good sound advice, but it was annoying. Sure. <laughs> and then not not being able to do what we used to do. Right. Because our son just couldn't stand it. But now that he's older, um, you know, we have no problems going out. Or, sorry, not no problems, but our problems are mitigated and lessened because Theo's just Theo's learned how to live, you know, um, how to live life. He's learned how to handle himself. Sure. He's old enough. He can kind of squirrel away somewhere away from the people, and he's fine with his iPad. Or we went to a restaurant with... Uh, the family, my mother-in-law, this past weekend, and he was able to watch his Mickey Mouse, and we were able to enjoy a good meal. So, you know, life has changed. Gotcha. Nor- a normalcy has developed over the years. Um, but I would say those two stressors I mentioned were the really big ones. Sure. The disrupt- disruption of life and people trying to give right. help yeah. who just didn't know what they were talking about. I think, I think, that's, I think that's good that you pointed out while you might not have the perfect normal that mm-hmm. was always kind of in the back of your mind, you you do have your norm, your normal. Yes, and, I mean this this is the way that you do life now, mm-hmm. and yep, I, I, I've talked about this a little bit with you, and it's unique how this works. But um, I think we all like our normal. At least we should. We mm-hmm. should enjoy our normal because sure. our normal is going to be different than anyone else's. Mm-hmm. I told you a while back. Um, my kids love going to the zoo. Mm-hmm. I never cared for the zoo before I had kids. But now I like going to the zoo. And when I go to the zoo with the kids, it's not always an easy trip. 
They want to get up and they want to run and they just want snacks. They want to go to the zoo to eat. And this is literally why they ask to go to the zoo sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to spend $35 on a corn dog at the zoo. So we don't always eat at the zoo. We bring our own snacks and they want to ride the little carousel and they want to do – sometimes they just want to go to the zoo, not even to see the animals. Mm -hmm. Right. But we have chaotic trips to the zoo. And that's normal It's your chaos and you love it. And – it was, we hadn't gone in a few months and I just had this itch. I even told my wife, I said, Lindsay, I said, I miss our chaotic zoo trips. Mm-hmm. Like I want, I want our normal. Sure. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm, gl- I'm glad you pointed that out that yep. you found your own and it's yours. Yeah. yeah. And you, you grow into it. And I know I've said the word here a few times, but I'm, I am as a rule hesitant to use that word because as I've thought about that word and I've thought about its usage, why do I want to import the world's ideal of normal onto me and my family? Sure. So it was a struggle I had at first because yeah. I adopted that ideal of normal. But because of God's grace and further reflection, uh, I don't really care yeah. anymore for the world's ideal. Why does my son have to be like everybody else? Right. God has made my son, and this is his normal. Yeah. And he's still beautiful and perfect. In God's eyes, just as Frankie is, or you, or me, Lindsay, yep. whomever. Right. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So Absolutely. that's something I've thought about quite a bit is after the deconstruction of those ideals and those idols, I began to rethink why even import the world's definition yeah. of normal in? Because it's always going to run contrary to the word. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of stupid to even adopt it. Right. That's a profound idea. I, w- I want you to elaborate on that. But I want to ask you one other thing about something you just you mentioned in your struggles, the toll that it takes on you. Mm-hmm. With all of the, for lack of a better word, morons who like to give you <laughs> all the advice. <laughs> we love you guys. When they, <laughs> when they, have, when they have none of the personal experience or even like an academic context to pull from. They're just, you know, well, my son did this and I just pushed him on the ground and that's, you should do the same. Mm -hmm. Um, How did you come to deal with those people? I know like you might deal with people in different ways if they're family or if they go to church with you. You probably can't tell someone who goes to church with you to shut up like Mm -hmm. you can with a family member, but (laughs) how did you go about dealing with that? Because I mean, even not having children with autism, everyone wants to tell you how to raise your kids. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to tell you that, sure, oh, you need to do it yeah. this way. And it's just mm-hmm. like your family situation is not the same as mine. And mm-hmm. No one, probably no one shares an identical family setup and situation. Mm-hmm. So we're all going to have our differences, which is why like, there's no perfect dad because there's no one setup. There's no one right way to do it all. Mm-hmm. So... How did you come to deal with all the critiques and the suggestions that came your way that Mm -hmm. were dumb? So at first, we did not handle it well. My wife and I would kind of bottle it up and explode privately. (laughs) Okay. Which is normal. That's probably what a lot of people do. We did it in private. That's that's, that's a good good thing. So thankfully, we never lost it in front of our family and friends. Okay. Um, Because we we knew that at a deep down level, they loved us and they were trying to care for us. Right. It was coming from a good place. It was coming from a good place, but the comments were just misplaced and misguided. They were misinformed. They don't know. Um, but 
after a lot of talks, we just kind of in faith began to talk with those people at the right moments. Okay. So we would be at a party, for example, and someone would say, why don't you try X with Theo? At those points, we would try to say, here's why X can't work with him. And we would try to help them okay. to understand. And that really helped. It mitigated, sure. it lessened those comments. But now there are family members that we can leave Theo with because those conversations help them to understand him better. Okay. And with them too, our son and that family member being with each other more, Theo could stay. Okay. So my wife's aunt, um, especially my wife's first cousin, Allison Barnhart, you know her. Yep. Um, she, from the beginning, never gave those kind of critiques, but because of watching and listening to us, Theo absolutely loves and adores her. Okay. And so he's able to stay with her. Okay. Able to stay with uh, my wife's aunts and uncles, um, and especially his Mimi, mm-hmm. Brenda. Absolutely loves her and she him. But conversations. Okay. Um, nice, loving conversations. Yeah, that's good. Helped. So you start out initially with the whole kind of smile and wave type thing. Like, I'm not going to say yes, anything to you. Yes, and then die I'm on the inside this. as my heart bleeds out. Okay. But, but eventually this morphed into uh, don't take it as a slam. Just kind of spin it on its head and yes. take it as like, this is a this is a dumb way of them starting a conversation. But it's a conversation nonetheless, and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll go about it in a in a good way. Yes. And the neat thing that I see from that is taking that road of saying, this is an opportunity to teach. This is an opportunity to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. It educates these people yes. who then can have more of a place in Theo's life mm-hmm. with autism, yep. which then kind of lightens the toll of you can't have date night. You can't go. Now mm-hmm. you can be like, hey, Mimi. Yep. He wants to stay with you tonight. And he can because yes. she's formed an understanding mm-hmm. because of conversations that have been had. Yes. So, yeah. okay. So for anyone who's in the same boat, I, I think that's wisdom, right? Yeah. Privately, mm-hmm. you know, do your thing. Smile and wave openly. Yeah. But look for the opportunity to have conversation mm-hmm. and to educate. Yes. When you're not emotionally charged. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Rule of thumb. Anytime you have a conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yep. All right. So let, let's 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 land on this point because, you know, I remember when you shared it with me, I thought it was it was just prolific. Um, so you find yourself in a situation that is not your perfect normal that you've always wanted, right? Mm-hmm. It's caused withdrawals and kind of deflated your spirit, and it's just created more obstacles to overcome than you probably planned on having to overcome. Um, and you're going through this whole thing of, well, I want God to heal my son, and, and I want to achieve this this normal that maybe the world's imposed, and et cetera, and so forth. But you came to a point with God where you had an experience where you found acceptance of your situation. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. Well, so we briefly talked about it earlier. Right. It- it surf so the acceptance surfaced in that message the hidden idol so realizing that i had idolized whatever the world defines as normal looking back i feel stupid sure um because it was a blind area where i didn't realize i was importing and adopting the world's standards but that message became the catalyst that helped me to redefine things, re-see things, hopefully in a clearer and more biblical way. Um, 
And as a result, I began to accept what God had allowed. And that's part of what it means to be a Christian. And so again, this information pertains to those who follow the Lord Jesus. Um, When you say he is Lord, that means he is Lord. You're not. You don't get to define your life and um, have ultimate say. He does. Um, And so as that began to transition, I would reflect on it more, brought in the 2 Corinthians Mm -hmm. idea about God's grace being tailored. That was such a powerful, powerful thought that grace is always tailored. It's not off the rack grace. Right. It's handcrafted by God to meet exactly your need. And um, that shifted some things theologically. We've talked about as it relates to healing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we want to get into that right now, but um, all of that just kind of came together and it was just many nights of prayer and reflection um, that ultimately showed me, okay, here are some idols, here are some preconceived ideas, here are some bad ideas. Now, what does the scripture say in light of that? And just began to melt away those bad ideas the way a flame melts a candle. Yeah. It wasn't... Sure. And still not. I still I still battle it. Intrinsic sure. within me is the idea of a normal, even though I'm battling against it. So right. it's still a daily thing. Um and what parent doesn't want to have X, Y, Z, those, those, things, those things? So it's not bad to want to have a conversation. My son's five and a half years old and has never said a word. Right. It's not bad that I want him to talk. However, at the end of the day, God is God and I am not. And this situation, somehow, there's good coming out of it. Mm-hmm. And um, I wouldn't have learned that. I wouldn't have learned that good came out of it had I not gone through it. Sure. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, that's why the psalmist could say it was good for me that I had been afflicted. Had I not been afflicted, I wouldn't have learned God's ways. Right. Had he not gone through what he'd gone through, he wouldn't have been able to look back in hindsight and see that God did sustain him, that God kept him. Had Moses not fought Amalek, he wouldn't have learned that God was my banner. Sure. Had children of Israel not gone through the wilderness and become sick, they wouldn't have learned that God was my healer. Right. Um. And I'm thankful now that God has allowed me to go through these things because I learned that he is a sustainer. He is a grace giver. He's a strength giver. He is the type of God who can redeem the worst of things and bring out beauty and order. And I wouldn't have learned these things to such a greater degree had I not gone through it. Yeah. And so I say thank you. I say, thank you, God, for... And I know this is so contrary and so antithetical to everything, but thank you, God, for allowing me to walk through this because had I not, I wouldn't have learned these things. Sure. Count it all joy when you fall through various trials. Why? Because as the author says, you learn something. In this instance, is it James, I believe, that said that? Uh, I'm drawing a blank right now. No, I'm blank Um, I'm drawing a blank. But (laughs) count it all joy... Because you're learning patience. You're learning something. There are revelations given for those who are willing to walk through the things God is calling them to walk through. Sure. So thank you, God. Thank you, suffering that came along my way. Thank you, this trial. Because had you not, I wouldn't have learned. Had you not, I wouldn't have grown. Had you not, there would have been many revelations that would have been missed. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. That's so good. That's good. In so many different contexts as well. It's yes. not just with specifically with Theo and autism and 
being a father in that circumstance, but just that perspective of of trusting God. Mm-hmm. You know, when the Bible says that it's not in man to order his steps. Yeah. But rather the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights yeah. in his way. And who's doing the ordering? Yeah. God. Yeah. He decides. Right. So Right. And 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 that's the thing. It's you know, you trust God wholeheartedly. You know, you can look at previous accounts biblically and you can talk to people today who can attest to the fact that you know, God's never left them. God's never abandoned. You know, God was always at work. God's still at work. Is it is it more reliable for you to trust yourself when you know all of your flaws and you know how flip-flop you are yeah. or to trust someone who throughout the ages no one has ever said he's left me or he changed mm-hmm. on me or he flipped or he flopped. It's just yep. always constant, always faithful, always sure. Mm-hmm. Um so even though there's questions and you don't know what tomorrow might look like, it's rather than worry about it, it's just more fitting and more wise to just trust that he's already got it in mm-hmm. control. Yep. Um, and the idea of of learning through suffering, learning mm-hmm. through pain, uh, yeah. huge biblical idea. Yeah, and for us as um, Pentecostals, Learning to trust him when you don't feel a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say this very respectfully. Uh, we are blessed in that it is not uncommon for us to feel the presence of the Lord on a Sunday or on a sure. Wednesday or throughout the week. However, when you're going through the hardest things, the suffering, the hurts, the autism, the cancer, uh, the father who is struggling when his son is backslidden, you're oftentimes going to go through those moments not feeling God. Not feeling God. That's mm-hmm. why he gives us these promises. Sure. He promised, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He promised that I'll be with you to the ends of the age. He promised that you'll forever be before, before my face. Why does he do that? Because he knows when we step into those moments, we're not going to feel him. Right. We're not going to hear him, probably. We're right. not going to sense him. But it's those promises that give us an anchor to hold on to so that we're not swept away right. when the suffering tries to assail us like some unbelievable wave. Right. It reminds me of Psalm 23, and we'll get off the theological boat here in a little bit, but this is what we <laughs> always talk about when we get together. But it reminds me of uh, Psalm 23 when David talks about being in the valley of the shadow of death, and he's speaking of himself as if he was a sheep with the Lord as his shepherd. Um He's walking through this valley where death is so close that its shadow darkens his path. Mm. He can't see the shepherd, but he knows his rod and his staff, they're here. And he likens that to being in the midst of opposition, faced with his enemies, God stepping in and preparing a table and inviting him to come and sit. And it's at this table where he gets this refreshing. He Mm -hmm. sees his purpose again because he's anointed. He sees that his cup truly is overflowing, that God's with him. But it's through this and this this likeness to when I'm in the valley and it's so dark, I know God's there. He, he, it's in this moment that he gets this clarity that we see in verse six, that surely, Mm -hmm. like, here's what I know. Right. Like I've been in the valley Mm -hmm. where I've been blinded. Yep. But here's what I know. Yep. Goodness yep. and mercy, they follow me, and yep. I will reach my destination. Yes. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you just restated beautifully what I what I was saying. It's the knowing, it's the promises that what keep you. Yeah. It's not the feeling. Yeah. And so we have to be careful not to be driven by the emotions, by feeling or the lack thereof. But what do we know? 
his goodness and his mercy, yeah. his rod and his staff. I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Yeah. That's going to keep you. That's going to sustain you. I think most of my listeners are probably Christians, but just out of curiosity, how do you think you'd have handled this without God? Do you think you would have handled it? Um, you take God out of the equation, and it's been laced in every answer that you've given. Yeah, I'd probably be bitter because, hmm. again, those ideals. Yeah. So regardless of being a Christian or not, we all have these ideals, these hopes, aspirations. Sure. Sure. And those false aspirations, I believe, apart from God, would not have been dealt with or not dealt with as early and as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I would I would probably say I'd be a much bitter, more bitter person mm. because those hopes in my mind would have been dashed, yeah. broken, gone. Yeah. Um so that's why I'm so thankful. Yeah. I'm absolutely. so thankful. Absolutely. Well, I think I th- thank you for sharing everything you've shared today. Um this went different places than I thought it was going to go, and I'm glad that it went to those different places because I think what's been shared today is gonna be highly beneficial. Mm. to dads, um, whether they're in your situation or not. Um, just perspectives that you've shared are good for all of us to cling to because you know we address the idea of we all have our own unique normals. Sure. And those unique normals all have their challenges. Mm-hmm. And there's tons of different struggles that can be associated with that that we can create oftentimes by what we think everyone needs to be doing or should be doing. And mm-hmm. and we allow that to fall onto our normal. And then it just creates a whole lot of chaos for ourselves. Yep. Um, but the idea of ultimately choosing to just trust in God, mm-hmm. that his way is right. Yep. That he's, he's not failed yet. I don't think I'm going to be the first that he fails or lets mm-hmm. down. Um, I think that's good. Typically, I try to ask this question, and if you just want to say what I've already said, that's fine. But is there anything, um, since you've been on a few times, you know, your answer can evolve and change, but is there anything that you've been focusing on as a father um, or any one piece of advice that you've received as of late that you would like to pass on to other dads or something that everyone already knows that you just want to hit home one more time? Mm-hmm. Um. I would say what I'm personally trying to get better at, and I'm nowhere near perfect, and that's just being more present and more aware when I'm with them. Sure. It's so easy to get home after a long day and say, I'm tired, and you want to sit on the couch and veg out. Um, But I know that my days are numbered with my sons. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not to be macabre or dark. It's just the truth. Right. It's just the truth. Our days are numbered. Um, And I want... To raise my kids and them say as adults that dad was very present. He was aware and it is unbelievably easy to recognize that he placed us first. So that's kind of what I'm working on now. Okay. That's something that we all have to work on. But out of curiosity, I want to ask you something. Mm-hmm. I know <laughs> I know that with with my efforts of intentionality with my son, for example, mm-hmm. um, I've been trying to take him out and play basketball or throw a ball with him, just be involved. Sure. You can't do that with Theo. Mm-hmm. And Theo is routine. He likes to do the same thing. He likes yep. what he likes and he wants to do what he is comfortable and knows to do. 
what does your intentional time with him look like? Yeah. So swinging. Okay. He loves to swing. That helps regulate. And what regulate means is to bring down his anxieties. Yep. So for him, swinging just makes him peaceful and happy. And he'll do it for hours. So, um, and we have a couple of indoor, uh, not indoor, they're, they're yard chairs okay, that yeah. you take to like a soccer game or whatever, but it swings. Okay. And I'll just sit there with him, either in my, him in my lap or just there with him holding his hand. Yeah. He, he's very sweet and gentle natured. So he'll just hold sure. your hand for a long time uh, while he's on the iPad or he'll sit in your lap and just be sweet. But it's stuff like that. So, is um, it, so that, is it more, that's the real bonding. So is it more intentional action and not intentional communication verbally? Yeah, because he doesn't communicate that yeah. way. And so it's just being near. Mm. Um, so that's what I do with him. Jude's a totally different story. Sure. It's let's throw balls, let's roll yeah. cars, you know, just all right. boy. Push me on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Let's yes. wrestle. Yeah. You know, he, he, he wants that. Yeah. But Theo, because of his autism and because of his nature, he's just so sweet. Yeah. You know, he just, he'll cuddle with you. He'll swing with you. Yeah. That's what I really try to do with him. Mm. And I think that's good. I think that's good for, I think it's good for people to hear and to know and to understand that intentionality is, it's carried out in different ways. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and, and he loves to be squeezed. Well, there just, you go. Just for some reason. So you just give him a big old yeah. bear hug. And he's just like, oh, yeah. That's mm-hmm. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm happy for you. I'm happy for your family. Um, for anyone who is interested kind of in the origins of your family and how it all started, it's a bit miraculous how Theo even came mm-hmm. about in the first place. So, you know, he is, in a sense, your miracle child. Um, so if anyone wants to listen to that, that episode is available. It's a throwback at this point, but it's it's still out there. You can still find it. Um, but I appreciate you sharing what you shared today, uh, raising and fathering a son with autism, mm. because it has its challenges. And like you said, and I think this is so key, had God not been a part of this for you, and had you been in a place where you're just trying to do this all on your own, at this point, you would be ridden with bitterness, mm-hmm. but you're not because you've had God and you've got faith in God, and so you trust. And as opportunities present themselves for you to be a witness, you take hold of those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Whatever your normal looks like within your home is the normal that you have accepted and the normal that you embrace. I love that you said that sometimes it's still a battle. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes like there's still that propensity to say, but I want that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but coming back to the reality of, hold on, it's, it's not in me to, to dictate all this stuff. Right. Some, someone else has mm-hmm. got sovereignty, yep. and in that I can trust. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. Thank Thanks you. for being with me. Thanks for sharing that. I believe that's going to be a tremendous blessing to anyone who listens to it. So mm. anyway, we will do it again, but uh, for now... This is Father in Our Future. This is the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift. Thank you so much for being with me, and I hope you will join me next time.